I started to see my insulin sensitivity improve dramatically. My really? total insulin intake went up. So the total units is now roughly like 36 or so per day. But my grams of carbohydrate increased way more. We're talking 700, 750 grams of carbohydrate per day. So when you calculate a 24-hour ratio, instead of three to one, I'm at 18 to one. Mm. So this is an example of me in my personal experience seeing how to reverse insulin resistance in my own body. And this matters. The reason this matters is because insulin resistance is at the core of all blood glucose fluctuation. You're listening to Healthline, where you receive inspiring messages and helpful health tips. For over two decades, Modern Mana has empowered individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle, from health expos and detox programs to TV and radio shows. If you are ready to improve your health, then let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Healthline. Today I had the privilege of sitting down with Robbie Barbero, who is the founder and creator of Mindfully Diabetic and has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 15 years. Now Robbie, he's actually been in excellent condition because he eats a low-fat fruit-based diet and he actually offers online group coaching programs for those who have diabetes. He holds a master's in public health and in today's show, we go over all things mastering insulin resistance. We talk about Robbie's personal journey with type 1 diabetes. So without further ado, Robbie, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here and can't wait to talk to people about how to reverse insulin resistance. Yes, that's um, that's the goal. That's the subject today. So I'm excited you're here. So Robbie, tell me a little bit. You've been living with type 1 diabetes for over 18 years. Tell us kind of in a nutshell how you were first diagnosed and what this experience has been like for you. Yeah, so let's go back to the beginning. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 12, just about to turn 13. And I have two older brothers, and the middle older brother also has type 1 diabetes and was diagnosed before me. So my family, my family was quite familiar with the condition. And I was complaining to my mom. I said, Mom, I'm thirsty all the time. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I think I have diabetes like Steven. And she said, no, no, don't be silly. And eventually, she was out of town. She called me in the morning to check in, see how things were going. And I said, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping. She said, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood glucose meter and test yourself. So mm -hmm. I tested myself. I was well above 400. And my brother said at that point, you have type 1 diabetes, pack your bags, you're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. So we went to the doctor, we got the regular checkup, the normal doctor made the confirmation. I'm not sure what tests they ran, mm -hmm. but they did confirm and said, okay, now you have to go to the ER and get some insulin. So I stayed in the hospital for one night. My parents came back that, uh, actually the next night and said, you know, don't worry, this is just an inconvenience. You can still do whatever you want with your life. And I always remember that. I've always taken that with me. I only stayed in the hospital for one night, and I went on my journey living with type 1 diabetes. So when you were first diagnosed with diabetes, was there anything special that the doctors recommended? I mean, what type of a lifestyle were you living? So in the beginning, I was following a standard American diet. Nothing special. There was no food off limits. Didn't even think about diet. And I still maintained pretty good control of diabetes. I was always a type A personality. Mm -hmm. 
was keeping track of my grams of carbohydrate and I was exercising and just being very diligent about it. So that was never really a problem. But throughout my adolescence and teenage years, I was constantly getting sick. I had allergies all year round, took allergy medications and still got sick all the time. I had plantar fasciitis, which was really uncomfortable. I wore these big blue boots at night to try and stretch my foot so I could relieve some of the pain I was experiencing. I also had warts on my feet that I got laser treatments to get off of. And I also had cystic acne. So in high school, I developed terrible acne. I tried all the different treatments, different pills, different antibiotics, different microdermal abrasion treatments, different mm -hmm. laser treatments. Eventually, they put me on Accutane, which is sort of a last-ditch effort for people who are experiencing cystic acne. And I was struggling in that regard. So there was plenty of health issues. And I eventually got motivated to start learning about making lifestyle change. It started out with my dad selling supplements. Mm. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. You know, you're telling me the soil's not good, so therefore I should have these supplements. And every step along the way was a logical progression at that point. Based on the information I had, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I ended up trying a Weston A. Price style diet that included grass-fed beef, grass-fed dairy, tried that. And then I ended up finding a sort of Gabriel Cousins low-carb uh, low ketogenic diet where I was eating basically nothing but oil, nuts and seeds, and greens. Mm -hmm. That point, this is where we're going to get into the conversation of insulin sensitivity yes. and why it matters and why it relates to all people living with diabetes. So on that diet, I was taking about 10 units total of insulin per day. I was eating about 30 grams of carbohydrate. So my ratio, 24-hour ratio, was three to one, all right? And the problem on that diet was that I felt terrible. I had no energy. I blacked out several times on campus. It was just a scary, scary situation. I ended up going back to my naturopath and said, okay, what else can I do? And she said, hey, maybe we should do some chelation therapy. Yeah. And we'll find a way to see if maybe heavy metals are a problem here. And I was considering doing this. It was going to be a long drive. It was mm -hmm. going to cost some money, but I was going to do it. But between making that decision, I heard a podcast from Dr. Doug Graham talking about a fruit-based diet. And he was talking about natural hygiene and how these foods are healing and why fat is important. And it just blew my mind. So this is in roughly September of 2006 at this point. And I was just like, wow. That makes sense. I, I love fruit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. So I started following his diet. I, in the first week, I ate nothing but bananas, just bananas for an entire week. The second week was bananas and lettuce. So he started me out on this mono diet. As so a it was just, just fruits? In the beginning, it was, it was just fruits for one week, and then I started adding greens in the second week. So the, so, aver the average diabetic would say, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, exactly. So you would think, wait a minute, I am. this is going to be crazy. My blood glucose is going to be unmanageable. I'm going to have to take a bunch of insulin. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is that I started to see my insulin sensitivity improve dramatically. My really? total insulin intake went up. So the total units is now roughly like 36 or so per day. But my grams of carbohydrate increased way more. We're talking 700, 750 grams of carbohydrate per day. So when you calculate a 24-hour ratio, instead of three to one, I'm at 18 to one. Mm. So this is an example of me in my personal experience seeing how to reverse insulin resistance in my own body. And this matters. The reason this matters is because insulin resistance 
is at the core of all blood glucose fluctuations. So prime, where that really matters a lot is definitely in all forms of diabetes, but pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, the cause of it is insulin resistance. So when you, we can teach people how to reverse insulin resistance. We're helping them significantly actually reverse the disease in, the most, in most cases. Yes. People with type 1, type 1.5 diabetes, learning how to reverse insulin resistance helps us gain full control of our diabetes health. Our blood glucose becomes predictable. We can get a healthy A1C range. Now, for people with type 1, that's a little bit different than pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So to recap just for a moment, it sounds as if one of the main things to do is to learn how to reverse insulin resistance. But for those who don't know, can you break down the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? So for those of you who don't know, the difference is that type 1 and type 1.5 diabetes are a condition where we don't know the cause. The cause. All we know is that something has happened to the beta cells inside the pancreas. So something has damaged those beta cells that normally produce insulin, and now we have to inject some amount of insulin to compensate for the lack of insulin production. Mm -hmm. Whereas pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, in most cases in the beginning, they're actually overproducing insulin. It's not underproduction, it's the fact that insulin is not being used properly, it's the fact that they're living with insulin resistance, yeah. and their body is not able to take glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells, and that is insulin resistance. Now you mentioned your brother has type 1 diabetes as well. So does this run in families? So there's definitely a genetic component, but again, nobody really knows. As far as what causes type 1, type 1.5, it's really just theories at this point, and uh, we're trying to figure that out. Yeah, interesting. So you were consuming a lot of fruit. You adopted, yes. you adopted this plant-based diet, which, which people would look at and say, you got to be kidding me, you're consuming all of these carbohydrates. Yes. But your numbers started to normalize. So I've been doing this for now 12 years, eating exclusively fruits, greens, and non-starchy vegetables. That is what my diet consists of, and you're exactly right. People living with diabetes, with all forms of diabetes, are scared to eat fruit. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're scared is very legitimate. I completely understand where they're coming from. A lot of people, whether living with type 1, type 1.5, pre-diabetes, or type 2, if they just go and eat a bunch of fruit right now, mm -hmm. they will see a higher blood glucose. And they say to me, how can you tell me it wasn't the fruit that was the problem? I just ate the fruit, I tested my blood glucose, and I'm 300. H how in the world is it not the fruit? Mm -hmm. And they're missing the fundamental point here, which is the problem is that they have too much fat stored inside their muscle and liver cells. It yes. is the fat that is preventing insulin from functioning properly. So the reason their blood glucose is high is because insulin is not efficiently taking glucose out of their bloodstream and into their cells. And people are missing that. So they're, 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 there's a messenger that like, the fruit is just an innocent bystander here. It's a symptom. The high blood glucose is a symptom. The real disease is insulin resistance. So learning how to reverse insulin resistance is extremely important for all forms of diabetes. And it's not talked about enough for people living with type 1 diabetes or type 1.5 diabetes. It's barely part of the conversation. And again, insulin sensitivity is important because it is, you know, what my co-founder likes to say, a central node for a lot of other conditions. So if you're living with insulin resistance, you're increasing your chances of developing heart disease, 
atherosclerosis, cancer, erectile dysfunction, Alzheimer's, PCOS, a long list of conditions are connected with being insulin resistant. Mm. And for people living with type 1 diabetes and type 1.5 diabetes, the number one killer is, is not diabetes itself. It's actually the same thing for pre-diabetes and type 2, all forms of diabetes. The number one killer is heart disease. So you really want to focus on what things you can do and control to not only take control of your diabetes health, but also limit your risk for all these other conditions. Yes. So as far as the insulin resistance, if somebody is you know new to this, they're learning about this for the first time, why are they experiencing insulin resistance? Okay. So again, it's a very fundamental issue here, and I'm glad you asked because it's important to understand. There are, there are many causes of insulin resistance, but there's one primary cause, and the primary cause is when there is excess fat stored inside this muscle and liver cells. Mm -hmm. So when the fat is in there, it disrupts the ability of insulin to open the door on the cell. So yes. insulin's function is to open the door and then allow glucose to go into the cell. If insulin is unable to do that, again, it gets, you could get very technical on exactly what's happening, but this is just a, a, you know, a ballpark understanding. Fat inside the cell limits that ability, limits the communication for insulin to open the door and allow glucose in. And then what happens is people have high blood glucose and then there you go, you have, you have diabetes yeah. or type one, you're just struggling with elevated blood glucose. So Robbie, for the person who's listening to this and they're going, so you're telling me that the high fat that I'm eating, the meat, the dairy that I'm consuming is the cause or one of the causes for my insulin resistance. But I'm so confused now because the USDA says to eat my dairy, to eat my fat, to eat my meat. I'm confused. I mean, is what I'm putting in my mouth really one of the causes for my insulin resistance? Okay, so yes, it is 100% what they're putting in their mouth. Now, activity certainly matters, but you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Mm -hmm. And what the government is recommending is not working for us. We, you know, we have over 100 million people in the U.S. alone that have either pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. So these recommendations that are being made are not resulting in health. They're certainly, the numbers of diabetes, the diabetes rates are increasing. So that's pretty sad. Yes. And we have research dating all the way back to 1926, Dr. Sansom, showing that the more whole carbohydrate people consume as they decrease their fat, mm -hmm. they improve their insulin sensitivity. So this goes back to how to reverse insulin resistance. It's very simple. A low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. So when your consumption of fat decreases, your body's ability to get rid of the stored fat inside those cells increases, and pretty soon you get to an appropriate amount of fat inside your cells, and now insulin is working the way it's meant to work. Okay, Robbie, so again, somebody's listening to this podcast, and they're saying, I hear what you're saying. It's kind of new to me. But my health guru has been telling me, in order to keep my diabetes under control, I need to consume a high-fat diet and also to lose weight as well. So am I being lied to? Am I being steered the wrong direction? I mean, what's going on? Okay, so 
the confusion around a ketogenic diet and then a low-fat plant-based whole food diet is astounding and also it's very understandable because it is true when people follow a ketogenic diet properly, they can see rapid weight loss, they can see their A1C drop, mm -hmm. they can reduce or completely eliminate diabetes medications, they see their cholesterol improve, triglycerides improve. Across the board, there are short-term improvements. Now, here's the issue. In most cases, these are improvements due to weight loss. And there's a lot of different ways to lose weight. You know, yeah. you could you'd start doing drugs and lose weight. Somebody could, you know, tie your mouth shut and people would lose weight. It doesn't mean it's necessarily the best path to go down. Now, look, I have a lot of respect for keto people. I, I really admire their effort. I think we have a lot more in common than we don't have in common. And I think, you know, if we as a world had people doing one or the other, we would certainly be in a heck of a lot better place. I think apathy is our biggest problem when it comes to, you know, treating our chronic illnesses and, and the amount of money we're wasting on healthcare. That's the biggest issue. But I know people want an answer. I know people want an ending to the confusion. So my own personal experience, again, going back to how to reverse insulin resistance, mm -hmm. I saw in my own body and anybody living with type 1 diabetes or type 1.5 diabetes, or basically anybody injecting insulin, any insulin-dependent person living with diabetes, which could be a type 2, a type 2 could have gotten an exhausted pancreas and then need to require insulin. But in general, any person who is injecting insulin is going to know how much insulin they're using. They're going to calculate their grams of carbohydrate and they're going to test their blood glucose. And those three pieces of information on a day-by-day -day basis, many different times a day, gives us direct access to how insulin sensitive somebody is or is not. So in my case, when I was doing the low-carb, ketogenic, plant-based diet, mm -hmm. I was taking the least amount of insulin I had ever taken. Really? But my insulin sensitivity was the worst it had ever been because I wasn't eating carbohydrate. And this was on the prescribed diet. This was on the, uh, if more, this was not on like a government prescribed diet. This is more of, you know, the Gabriel Cousin style, which is still an alternative style diet, but mm -hmm. definitely a, uh, would fit into a ketogenic diet. No question about it. But see, here's the problem. Insulin's not the enemy. Just because I was taking a low amount of insulin does not mean that I was going to be healthier. What was happening, what I could actually see was I was more insulin resistant. Really? Objectively, three to one was my 24-hour ratio versus now it's 18 to one. Mm -hmm. It's a dramatic difference. So I'm, by being insulin resistant and not being able to tolerate glucose, so what people are confusing is you could, if you're just to describe the ketogenic diet, you could also say, I'm eating a diet that makes me carbohydrate intolerant because that's exactly what's happening. Somebody goes on a ketogenic diet, they can't eat a pint of blueberries without seeing their blood glucose skyrocket. They can't eat two bananas. They can't eat an apple. Mm -hmm. When they do, they see their blood glucose skyrocket because they have so much fat stored inside their cells. Even when somebody gets to a, a healthy weight, a ketogenic diet could get person could get to a healthy weight and they are still going to not tolerate carbohydrates in the same way that a low-fat, plant-based, whole food eater would be able to tolerate carbohydrates. Okay, so what are some of the issues here? Because what you're mentioning is the 
high-fat ketogenic diet that actually can assist with lowering um, blood glucose. It could assist dramatically in weight loss, but long-term, the high fat is causing a lot of the health issues. So what are the alternatives? What are some of the issues here between the diets that individuals can be eating? So we have a few issues here. Number one is the insulin sensitivity on a low-fat plant-based whole food diet is dramatically better than a ketogenic diet, period, end of story, no questions asked, all right? The second issue with a ketogenic diet is that we don't have any long-term societies that show this diet worked over the long term. This is, again, this is not, this is not uh, any gray here. This is black and white. The only societies that we can look at and see, okay, wait a minute, how, did they live a long life? Did they have low rates of chronic disease? Every single one of them had carbohydrate-rich foods at the staple of their diet. Yeah. They weren't all 100% vegan or any of them or anything like that. There wasn't none of that. It's just the fundamental principle that they ate significant amount of carbohydrate-rich foods, which the ketogenic world does not allow for. So that's a big concern. So I think if somebody's doing a ketogenic diet, they're playing Russian roulette at that point. They just nobody knows. But then the third point here is that there are no results that somebody on a ketogenic diet can achieve that they can't also achieve while following a low-fat plant-based whole food diet. So when we're talking about the rapid weight loss, hey, if you adopt this diet, you go all in right away, you can get rapid weight loss, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. As far as reducing and eliminating diabetes medications, you can absolutely do that on a low-fat plant-based whole food diet. As far as getting your A1C down to 5.6 or below for people living with prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, you can absolutely do that. Now, reducing your risk of heart disease, Alzheimer's, cancers, PCOS, erectile dysfunction, you can, you can do all that. So at the end of the day, it really, it just becomes a choice. And for me, I'm passionate about educating people so they know they have the choice. There's too many people that think, I, I actually can't eat potatoes, I actually can't eat fruit, my blood glucose skyrockets, that food is bad for me. And that is completely not true. All I care about is, look, I'm not here to change people's opinions or fight or debate or whatever. All I want to see is just a factual representation of the facts, a true representation. If somebody says, look, I'm totally aware of all that, Robbie. I know. I just choose to eat the ketogenic diet because I like it or Mm -hmm. these are the foods I like. I can't give up my bacon. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But don't say it. Don't say you're following that because I have high blood glucose or I, I can't lose weight or I have, I think I'm gonna get heart disease or something because I've been told that carbohydrate-rich foods are bad because that's just not true. And you know what I find that is difficult as well is a lot of these diets, they're fads. I mean, how are individuals actually able to maintain this diet for the rest of their life? Generally, people end up getting burnt out. But what I'm hearing you say is with a ketogenic diet, yes, it's going to provide rapid improvements, but long-term, it actually can result in insulin resistance. Do I got that right? That is is true, yes. Not only in the long-term, again, just stating facts here. I don't want to get anybody upset. I want want both sides to be fair to each other and acknowledge the benefits and and the truth about what each side is experiencing. In the short-term and the long-term, they will be 
insulin resistant really? or they will be carbohydrate intolerant, whichever way you want to look at it. Now, there's definitely research that shows high quality research that shows people following a ketogenic diet and showing an improvement in insulin sensitivity using a euglycemic clamp test, which is the gold standard of testing insulin sensitivity. Those studies exist, no question about it. But again, it's due to weight loss. So they have not shown that that can be done in a, uh, in a state where they did not change their weight. Mm -hmm. And they also, um, have not shown that they're any more insulin sensitive than somebody who did the same thing on a low-fat plant-based whole food diet. So that study doesn't really exist. But we see this in people living with type 1 and type 1.5 diabetes over and over and over again. And really anybody in that community wouldn't even try to argue, like point blank. Anybody doing a ketogenic diet, their 24-hour insulin sensitivity is dramatically lower than anybody doing a low-fat plant-based whole food diet in all type 1 and type 1.5 cases across the board, no questions asked. I see. So an individual following a high-fat diet, they're going to experience their insulin resistance is quite a bit lower. But something I certainly look at is long-term, this high-fat diet can be associated or also one of the causes for many other health conditions as well that uh, many people are plagued with. Now, I hear a lot of individuals talk about the fact that I have diabetes and I am told that I need to eat a lot of protein. Share with us some information regarding that. Yeah. Okay, so there's definitely this experience where in a lot of cases, sometimes people will add protein and they'll see a more stable blood glucose. That has happened. A lot of times, though, they'll see stable at the meal and then randomly higher elevated blood glucose four, five, six, seven hours after the meal. There's research that has shown that protein causes that. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is the, the protein thing is a myth in general. People think they need more protein than they really need. Protein deficiency is not an issue, yet everybody's out there chasing protein. It's just not. Like you, doctors are not dealing with people with protein deficiency. There's, there, there aren't medications yeah. for people with protein deficiency. It, it's a, really a non-existent thing unless somebody is truly starving. Mm -hmm. So it's just confusion. It's just it's marketing. It's confusion. When people eat a whole food plant-based diet, these all these whole foods automatically have more than enough protein. There's bodybuilders out there doing this stuff. The protein thing is completely overblown. Okay, Robbie, so you have type 1 diabetes, and I'm looking at the shelves behind you, and they are loaded with fruits, delicious fruits. I see bananas, I see mangoes, I see papayas, I see avocados, I see star fruit, I see tomatoes. This is the food that you eat. But the average person who has diabetes, and if they could see your shelves right now, they're saying, if I touch that food, it would kill me. So how do you do it? What message do you have for people who say, how can I eat this type of a diet and survive? Because the message I'm receiving from health professionals is don't touch it because it's going to affect your body because you have diabetes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm telling them it's going to save their life. Yes. No questions asked. So behind me, there's oranges, there are some bananas, some mangoes. Uh, I can't see it because I'm actually small on the screen. I have to turn around. But I think I have some papaya back there. But the bottom line is 
anybody who's questioning that, anybody who thinks that, I encourage them to just try it. And once you've tried it, once you have applied it in your own body, it doesn't matter what anybody says, any books, any doctors, any of your friends, there is no denying what you experience in your own body and you now own the truth in your own body. Yes. And people can, people can see very quickly that this works, especially if they do it properly. Mm-hmm. Now, we teach people how to make changes one meal at a time and that's for long-term success because switching overnight is not doable for most people. And so at that point, you have to give it some time. Don't expect it to work on day one if you just change your breakfast and you're still eating the things that lead to insulin resistance for a lunch and dinner. Consider that a transition phase. Consider that, okay, I'm just warming my way up. I'm, 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 I'm walking into this slowly. Don't expect great results yet. Be patient. But once you get to week two, week three, once you've changed your lunch, you've changed your dinner, by, by the end of 30 days, you will know for a fact that carbohydrate-rich foods are not the cause of elevated blood glucose. And people will see that they actually are taking less medication, eating more grams of carbohydrate every single time. We do four-day retreats, and I have yet to see a single experience where anybody came and didn't see their insulin sensitivity improve. And the way I know this is because in a lot of cases, people were taking less medication, they actually reduced their insulin, they reduced their oral meds, all while eating more grams of carbohydrate. And in the worst case scenario, for somebody who's highly, highly insulin resistant and will take a little bit longer to succeed, the worst case scenario is that they dramatically increased their total grams of carbohydrate and their medication stayed the same and their blood glucose stayed about the same. Man, Still an improvement in insulin sensitivity because whatever amount of insulin that they were using or their body was producing was now beginning to move more grams of carbohydrate out of their bloodstream into their cells that is how to reverse insulin resistance. Really? So I imagine this is music to somebody's ears. I hope so. They're saying, hang on a second, put on the brakes. I could master my insulin resistance or reverse my insulin resistance in 30 days eating carbohydrates. Yes. Yes. And I just want to be clear. For most people, they will see a dramatic improvement in 30 days. Now, some people, they, it's going to take more than 30 days to maybe completely reverse type 2 diabetes and stuff like that. But type 1s, for sure, like in 30 days, they're going to see more grams of carbohydrate, less total units really? of insulin, the, the insulin sensitivity factor. I mean, my story was kind of dramatic in the sense that I take more, unit, more total units of insulin. But we have a lot of people who've come to us and a lot of testimonials on our YouTube channel, on our podcast, on our website, where people... We're doing a ketogenic diet. They came in, they switched to ours, and even tripling, quadrupling their carbohydrate intake, their total insulin still went down. Really? So that's happened in many cases. It's amazing to see that you're thriving, but you have a passion to teach people about how to live this lifestyle as well. So walk us through for a moment. How does somebody adopt this mastering diabetes approach who wants to get started? So it goes low-fat, plant-based, whole food. So let's go through each term there. Low fat means eating no more than 30 grams of total fat per day or no more than 15% of total calories per day. That is the absolute max. If you're exceeding that number on a consistent basis, you're not following the Mastering Diabetes Program. The second thing is plant-based foods, okay? Now, 
again, each person, how far they're going to have to go to make to, to the level of, you know, uh, perfection or 100 percent compliance is dependent on where they're at and what their goals are. But if again, for optimal results, for trying this for a 30 day period by that last week, by that third week and fourth week where you've changed all your meals, we want it to be 100% plant-based. You're not eating animal, any animal product. Now, I know some people who are plant-based, but their extent of plant-based is grabbing a can opener and opening up a can of veggie dogs, and that's considered plant-based to them, right? <laughs> now, yeah, you're not, that's not plant-based. That's not... That's- that's 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 the clarification we're looking for here, and there's a lot of confusion around that. That is not a low-fat, plant-based whole food diet. That's a processed food, yeah. and what they'll see is as they start to begin documenting what they actually eat, that they're eating way more than 30 grams of fat. If you're eating mm. any of those processed things, these processed burgers that are coming out, mm-hmm. they're they're all high fat. So you'll see that, and you'll, you'll just you'll you'll fail. You'll hit a, yeah. an X <laughs> on many different fronts of this three pronged system here: low fat, plant based, whole food. So we got that cleared up. Yeah. Now whole food that applies to the same thing you just said, but it also applies to some some cleaner versions of plant based food. So we're talking about carrots, not carrot juice. Mm. We're talking about you know in a lot of cases you know millets not you know some processed version of it or, or beans not necessarily bean pasta although bean pasta is not that bad but the whole point is is it should really be an unprocessed whole food low fat form. based whole food all right not juices yeah all right that's a big deal um and even when it comes to vegetables we want you to chew your vegetables so yes making some green juices here and there could be good those are going to be less problematic than if somebody tried to have pomegranate juice or grape juice when it comes to managing blood glucose, but there's, you really want to eat whole foods. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what I've been doing, what my co-founder Cyrus has been doing for a combined over, I think, almost 30 years now. Oh, really? Uh, actually, no, 26. My, I'm like 12, he's like 14, that we have been following this approach. And we lead by example. We actually eat that simply in, in whole foods every single day, and we don't, we don't process. And just to make things even more clear, we have put food into three different categories, green light, yellow light, and red light. Mm. The green light foods are fruits, okay. starchy vegetables, legumes, intact whole grains, mm. non-starchy vegetables, leafy greens, herbs, and spices. Those foods are in the green light category. We say eat those in unlimited quantities. Go ahead, enjoy them to your heart's content. And the reason we can say that, and like, well, people are like, wait a minute, that's a lot of carbohydrates. Are you sure? Yeah. Again, in a low-fat environment, you become carbohydrate tolerant. Your body's ability to take these foods, take the glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells is increased dramatically. And the fact that it, these foods are loaded with fiber and the, and the fact that they're loaded with nutrients mm. also helps keep your blood glucose in a healthy range. So those are the green light foods. And another reason that people can eat unlimited quantities is because, again, back to the fiber, back to the nutrients, and the water content means it's very difficult to overeat. It's very, very difficult to eat too many calories of these whole foods. And it's not necessarily the carbs that are the culprit here. It's the fat. That's exactly right. And that's how we get into the yellow light category, okay? Yellow light foods are healthy foods, but we just need to be careful about how much people consume. So this is things like 
nuts and seeds, mm -hmm. avocado, durian is a high fat fruit, olives. These are all, and coconut meat. These are all whole plant foods, but they're not low fat. They're higher in fat, and you could easily exceed your 30 grams if you eat too much of these. So we just have to be careful about them. And there's also foods in the yellow light category, including those sort of alternative pastas, that brown rice pasta, lentil pasta, bean pasta, quinoa pasta, there's all kinds of different pastas. Now, there's also healthy bread that a lot of people consume. So things like Ezekiel bread mm -hmm. is definitely a heck of a lot healthier than Wonder Bread, but it's much more calorie dense. And it's in a lot of cases, it's gonna hurt people's weight loss because there's a lot of calories per bite of bread versus just eating whatever that bread was made out of originally. I see. So that's the yellow light category. Now the red light category is very clear. We have all animal products, then we have oils, and we have processed foods. So oil is a problem because it is pure fat. Maybe some higher quality oils might have some nutrients left over, but in general, it is the most calorie dense food on the planet, and you can consume it and easily gain weight because a small amount gives you a lot of calories without giving you bulk in your stomach. So it doesn't yeah. fill you up, makes you wanna eat more food. So oil leads to insulin resistance, no questions asked. Anybody, can, they can test that in their own body, even just a tablespoon, and they will see a difference if they weren't having it previously. And then processed foods, things like bagels, uh, donuts, I mean, these are combinations of salt, sugar, and fat, and those are not good. And then the animal products, again, the problems with the animal products, they, first off, they're pretty much all high in fat. That's problematic. And then there are other things in animal products that lead to insulin resistance. Advanced glycation end products, heme iron is a problem, leucine, this, you know, leucine in plant foods too, but it's in a higher amount in animal foods. That has been shown to be problematic for insulin resistance. So there's TMAO, there's all kinds of things. Yeah. Animal products are problematic. Now, isn't there actual research that shows an onset to type one diabetes? So there has been some research showing that dairy consumption in particular yeah. increases the chance of somebody developing type 1 diabetes. It's not black and white. You know, it's not clear. Um, there's also research showing that some people who haven't been breastfed mm -hmm. also have a higher chance of developing type 1 diabetes. But of course, if you, you know, I've had many people share with me on my Instagram page when I post something like that. Many moms or many type 1s come out and say, look. I was breastfed for two years or three years, and I still got type one. So it's not uh, it's not 100%, but there's definitely enough uh, data to show that it's concerning and that it would be much better for our children to be breastfed, uh, and if they can't do that, then uh, plant-based milks. Yeah. So an individual can reverse their type two. When okay. it comes to the type one, they can manage it. That's right. So type 1.5 and type one diabetes – we don't know the cause and we don't really have a solution yet. So let me give some more information here. When somebody is living with any form of diabetes, one of the best tests that they can get is a C-peptide test. A C-peptide test is, will indicate how much insulin somebody's pancreas is producing, all right? So we don't have convincing, repeatable data that shows 
that we can make a significant improvement in somebody's C-peptide level okay. through any means. There are there are some outliers, there are some examples where somebody's C-peptide changed dramatically. But the bottom line is, if your C-peptide is low, so type 1 diabetes is 0.2 or below, 0.2 down to undetectable. That's type 1 diabetes. That means that person is producing a very small amount to zero insulin. In that case, in order to reverse type 1, and type 1.5, their uh, C-peptide is a little bit more elevated, but they, and they also have antibodies, but they're still producing a little bit of their own insulin. So that C-peptide being higher than 0.2 indicates they're producing some insulin, which means that you know, it sort of helps them manage their blood glucose and they can have to inject a lot less at meals, but they still, in a lot of cases, need to inject exogenous insulin. Yeah. Now, we don't have a way to improve that C-peptide. And so, again, we're talking about just type 1 and type 1.5 right now. In order for us to reverse either one of those conditions, there's two things that would need to happen. Number one is that we would have to stop the antibodies. So each one of those conditions is also characterized by uh, so low C-peptide and the incidence of antibodies. So GAD, IA2, there's about six or so antibodies that and, are associated with and this. And the test you mentioned, is that going to determine what antibodies the individual so, has? Good question. A C-peptide test would not. They have to do a separate test called the diabetes antibody panel. And so in this case, type 1, type 1.5 diabetes, in order to reverse it, we have two things have to happen. Number one is we have to make sure those antibodies are not there anymore because the antibodies are you know, conventional medical teachings say that the antibodies are actually attacking the beta cells. There is alternative belief. There's also the possibility that the antibodies are actually attacking a virus, and it's mm -hmm. the virus that has done and may continue to be doing damage to beta cells. Either way, whichever way it is, in order to show that we can reverse type 1 and type 1.5 diabetes, we would need to have some evidence, repeatable evidence, that we could decrease those antibodies to, okay. or eliminate them. And, and we don't have that yet. So I'm a, a one N of one example of somebody who's been eating very well for over 12 years, and my antibodies are still there. Okay. They're still, and still doing whatever they're doing. So that's step one. And then the second step to reversing type 1 or type 1.5 diabetes would be to make sure that new beta cells could be regenerated and that they could start producing endogenous insulin. So that would be a two-pronged step there. Now, pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, this is a whole other story, the vast majority of people living with those two conditions can completely reverse it. Even if their C-peptide is a little bit lower and they are not producing the same amount of insulin they used to produce because their pancreas is exhausted, when they become insulin sensitive and listen to this video about how to reverse insulin resistance, mm -hmm. if they actually do it, then even a lower amount of insulin production can be enough to maintain healthy blood glucose without any additional medications. Really? So that's what happens in a lot of cases. And so we have people come into our coaching program, and I always encourage them, get the C-peptide test so we can manage your expectations. If somebody living with type 2 diabetes, let's say they've been living with it for 30 years, they come into our program, they get a C-peptide test, and the result is 0 0.4, 0.4. When the normal range, they should be like 3.2 or something. That person 
that person is not likely to completely reverse type 2 diabetes. Actually, I would say close to impossible. They are at that point living with insulin-dependent diabetes. We'd call it a non-autoimmune insulin-dependent diabetes. They still need insulin to manage their blood glucose. No matter how perfect their diet is, they're not producing enough endogenous insulin Mm. in order to you know, manage their blood glucose properly. Yeah. So that's what's happening in that case. But again, most people, especially pre-diabetes, people with pre-diabetes, they're producing plenty of insulin. And that's millions upon millions of people in the United States. If they followed a low-fat plant-based whole food diet, they can completely get rid of diabetes. That's an A1C of 5.6 or less and also carbohydrate tolerant. So they ha- if you can't eat a banana, if you can't eat a pine of bananas, if you can't eat a potato, if you can't eat some rice – and have your blood glucose in the normal range at your your like two hour point, then you have not reversed diabetes. And that's the difference between what we're saying and what a lot of the ketogenic world is saying. We say, no, yes, you did a ketogenic diet, you stopped taking your diabetes medications, you lost weight, you have an A1C of 5.0%, but if you can't eat blueberries, if you can't eat bananas, if you can't go do a, a, a glucose challenge, carbohydrate challenge, you have not reversed diabetes. You know, Robbie, I believe what you've been sharing is actually music to many people's ears because what they're saying now is, you mean I could eat these foods that I've been told I have to stay away from? So people can actually have a new outlook on life as they move forward. So entice us for a moment. What do you eat? What does your daily lifestyle look like when it comes to food? So I personally choose to eat a fruit-based approach. There's actually very few people who still do that these days. Most people have a much more uh, varied approach, as you saw when listing out those green light foods. Yeah. But for me personally, a typical day, something like today, I will I – mean, I can tell you right now. I have it in my nutrition software. I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to eat today because awesome. I prepared my food for the day. That's essential planning in advance. So this morning I had papaya and jackfruit for breakfast and I also had arugula. And that got me to, that was like called 165 grams of carbohydrate for breakfast. Then my lunch today, which I haven't eaten yet, is gonna be mangoes, arugula, and apples. That's gonna be 180 grams of carbohydrate just at that one meal. And then my dinner, dinner is gonna be 80 grams of carbohydrate. It's got Lettuce, tomatoes, mangoes, arugula, Mm. and red onion. Then I'm going to have a snack of papaya. And then I made these cauliflower bites, which is uh, cauliflower put in a dehydrator with a sauce of carrots and bell peppers and onions. And and that's just a simple day. A lot of people might be excited about the amount of fruit they can eat. A lot of people might be intimidated or they might be like, I want more variety. Trust me when I say the Mastering Diabetes program has a wide variety of ingredients and meals, whether it's pizzas, burritos, soups, lasagna, it doesn't matter. You name it, we can make it delicious and low-fat, plant-based, whole food. And it also can be very affordable. A lot of these ingredients are affordable. You're saving money on medications. Things can be prepared in advance, so it's convenient. And even eating out at restaurants is actually not very hard on this diet. Most restaurants have a lot more options than a lot of other you know diets people are trying to do and it's healthier and it's cleaner so it's really fun to see people adopting this and, and changing their life oh yeah so i know robbie people are watching this and going okay i'm on board i could master this 
So where Good. do they go? Where can they find you to learn more information? The best place to go is masteringdiabetes.org. And in the upper right corner, you can click start here. You'll get a free PDF guide, which is more details about reversing insulin resistance. So it's actually the ultimate insulin resistance guide. And it has a lot of science peer reviewed research in there to really elaborate on what I was talking about today. If you're interested in digging into that, it also has some pictures some recipes, check that out. We also on our website, you'll see a free webinar. We can sign up for a webinar where people can get uh, information about how to get their best A1C. My co-founder Cyrus goes into a lot of the science behind that. What is the A1C, the biochemistry of insulin resistance. It's a fantastic presentation. So that's the best place to go. We're also on Instagram, at Mastering Diabetes, at Mindful Diabetic Robbie. You can find us there. And we're also on YouTube. Just type in Mastering Diabetes. You'll find us on YouTube. And we have a podcast. So if you listen to podcasts, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. Just type in Mastering Diabetes. You'll find our podcast. Hey, Robbie, I've really enjoyed being able to chat with you today. And as we wrap up the show, is there anything you would like to leave us with? I just want to leave people with one tip, which is to start, okay? If you're listening to this and there's any health condition you want to overcome or you're living with diabetes and you're, you're, you're just overwhelmed, like, oh, this is just too much, just start. And I, that's what our coaching program is all about, is walking people through the changes one step at a time for long-term success. It can get overwhelming to do it all at once. It's not usually the smartest move. Let us guide you through the transition and sort of work through the, the you know blood glucose irregularities you might see during the transition as we're going to set you up for long-term success. So don't be afraid. Just get started. Change just your breakfast or just add fruit to your current breakfast. Any of these variations of doing anything new and improved on a consistent basis is going to work out in the long term. So just get started. That's fabulous advice, Robbie. Thank you so much for sharing and coming on today's show. For those of you listening, if you've appreciated today's podcast, please give it a like and a share to those who you love. And we absolutely would appreciate a review down below. I will leave information in the show notes on how to get in contact with Robbie. So until next time, stay healthy and happy. Thanks again, Robbie, for coming on the show. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you have been motivated by this show. To connect with us and receive more information, you can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and ModernManna.org. See you next time.